Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. While you turn there, or as you turn there, uh, let me pray that God's Spirit would be here to just uncover His Word. Because I, I want to set this up. I believe what I'm going to share with you today is a dangerous message. It is the danger of the gospel if we ever really get a hold of it. It is the danger of the message of grace. Uh, it, it, it will radically change many of us. And I don't say that lightly. I mean, it will hit us where we live. Lord, we thank you for this day, this moment, this time. Spirit of God, come and uncover truth for us. Lord, there are many here, I know, who are in bondage. Lord, we need freedom. We need the freedom that comes from the radical message of the good news of Jesus Christ and the grace that is ours in him. Come, Holy Spirit. Anoint the words that go beyond anything I can intellectually say and make them become life to us. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm now at the point where I can no longer review nine chapters uh, to kind of get us into Hebrews. Though Cheryl would love for me to back up and review every verse uh, for the last night. We used to have this running dialogue on staff. How much can you actually review in one time? Anyway, the, the, the theme here is that Jesus is greater than anything. Jesus is greater than your biggest problem. Jesus is greater than your greatest weakness. Jesus is greater than your worst enemy. Jesus is greater than our economy. Jesus is greater than who is in political power. Jesus is greater. The people that the author of Hebrews is writing to is a group of people who used to be Jewish, now Christian, they're under persecution. We prayed for the persecuted church. They're, mostly likely, they're most likely living in a suburb of Rome. We don't know for sure. We don't even know who for sure who wrote Hebrews. A lot of speculation about that. But uh, we do know that this group used to be Jewish, became Christian. They're struggling with what does it mean to be people of faith. And so they're thinking about going back to Judaism. And the author of Hebrews is from the get-go saying, listen, why go back to that which was merely a shadow when the reality has now been given to us? Everything, the tabernacle, the priestly system, all that was before, all the Old Covenant, all the Old Testament was a shadow pointing to Christ. It was a revelation of who God is. I don't want to minimize the Old Testament by any means. Uh, it is the truth of God's Word. But it, as a religious system, was inadequate. It couldn't take away your sins. It couldn't take away your guilt. It was merely a stopgap measure, and it pointed people toward God. More importantly, it pointed them to the coming of Jesus Christ, the one in whom and through whom all things would be received. In these last days, and that's what we are in, we have been in the last days since the day Jesus came to this earth and was crucified. In these last days... God has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. He is the reality. In chapter 10, he's going to sum up all of what he's been trying to say 
and point us toward a radical truth that needs to be ours if we're really going to move forward. When I was in sixth grade, my family moved from uh, Jacksonville, Florida to Bethesda, Maryland, where my dad became pastor of Wildwood Baptist Church. We lived there for four and a half years, uh, from when I was in sixth grade to the middle of my 10th grade year. It was a it was an awesome time for my family. It was a great family experience living in a suburb of Washington, D.C., and uh, just v- incredible memories that were there. Um, my dad pastored the church, which sat on top of a hill, and the parsonage for the church, which, uh, for those of you who are old school, you remember a lot of churches used to have parsonages, which meant the church owned the house and the pastor lived there. That's where my family lived. We lived at the bottom of the hill. So the church and, and on the other side of the hill was the cemetery. Um, my brother and I, we used to play in the cemetery. My sister, we played soccer. We played baseball. Uh, we got in all sorts of trouble for moving grave markers to make boundaries for, um, for you know, it just became our life. Got to play somewhere, right? Uh, so one of the guys would always come in, Pastor, your boys had moved the grave markers again. Uh, so... That people weren't buried there. That's where, where plots where people had bought. They put like little stones in them. To, no one was occupying the space yet. <laughs> just want to make it clear we weren't total heathens. Anyway, at this church, um, there was a man by the name of Ralph Bork. Uh, Mr. Bork was a butcher at AMP. Um, he was the part-time janitor at the church. And to, to supplement his income, Mr. Bork, there are, there are a lot of things about Mr. Bork that are very winsome, and he was just a great man, and um, he had a very pronounced limp. Uh, he had a hip issue, some sort of um, deteriorating hip that they couldn't diagnose, couldn't fix at the time. Uh, Mr. Bork uh, came from a very, very, very abusive family. He was kicked out of his home, I think, when he was like 13 or 14 he had lived by himself from that age forward. He had gotten married to a lovely lady named Nettie May, who he, was his life. And he had three beautiful daughters who were almost grown by the time I knew Mr. Bork. And because of his abusive family, he loved his family. Mr. Bork uh, was also very proud in the, the work he did at the church and cleaning the church and how it looked. And Mr. Bork was a man of prayer I mean, he loved to pray. We we used to have this dog named Dusty that was our family dog, and one time Dusty got really sick. Mr. Bork stood up in the middle of church on Sunday morning and asked the whole church to pray for our dog, which is kind of unusual church to pray for a dog. Um, And he led the whole church in a prayer for Dusty, uh, our dog. Uh, Mr. Bork also took incredible pride in that he could make a great cup of coffee. And so daily, I would come home from school, and I would go up to my dad's office to say hello to my dad. He was generally in his office studying. Dusty the dog was sitting next to him. He took Dusty up with him because it was right, you know, it was just right there. Um, if Dusty ever got out, by the way, he would show up at church on Sunday morning as well. Uh, so because we, we, we always lived right there. And so I would generally see Mr. Bork on a daily basis, and Mr. Bork would... Um, Ask me, hey, Bart, come taste this coffee that, that I made. So I would sit down with Mr. Bork and have a cup of coffee. Now, now remember this. I'm in seventh grade. 
So daily, Mr. Bork is jacking me up on caffeine um, that my parents didn't know about. Uh, and we would just sit there and have a cup of coffee and talk. And I don't remember a lot about the conversations Mr. Bork would have with me, but I do remember this daily. He would say to me, Bart, you're special. God has a plan for your life. He has a destiny for you. Don't overlook God's plan for your life. He'd repeat it to me over and over again. At some point, I actually began to believe that God loved me and had a wonderful plan for my life. There is power in repetition. Power in repetition, telling our children, saying the same things over and over again so that we believe it. You know, two things came out of that for me. One, I learned to love coffee and became addicted to it. Second, I became addicted to my love for God. The author of Hebrews is doing the same thing. We're going to read these 18 verses from Hebrews, and you're going to come away saying, wait a minute, I, he said this before. He said it a lot. I mean, he, at some point, you're almost like, oh, I'm going to skip over this because I've heard it before. Please don't skip this. Because if he keeps saying it over and over again, do you think there must be something important we should be getting? That's where we are in Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to look through it together. We're aiming, by the way, I want to go ahead and make it clear. We're aiming for verses 14 and 18 and what is in those two verses. And then it'll lead right into communion. And you'll see how the repetition of communion is to point us toward the incredible picture and grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 1, Hebrews 10. The law is only what? There there was words again. The law is only a shadow of of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. The law, as given by Moses, was like, um, was like morality 101. I mean, it's very important. The kids right now are learning. Kathy's leading them through a discussion of what are the Ten Commandments. The law is good. The law is morality 101. Outside of the first couple of the Ten Commandments about worshiping God, you would be hard-pressed to find anyone who says, oh, these, these are no good. I mean, you, you, most people would agree with us that lying is not a good thing. And stealing is... Something we shouldn't do. Now, I know there are some who would justify their lying or their stealing, but for the most part, we would agree. You're going to be hard-pressed for, to find a person who said, you know, I don't think working on my marriage is all that great. I'd rather have my neighbor's wife. I mean, all of them, from beginning to end. You, I mean, we would agree. This is morality 101. The problem is, as simple as these Ten Commandments are, they're impossible for us to follow. Why? Because we are so stinking bad. At our core, we can't follow all of these commandments. So God institutes a tabernacle system, a system where sacrifices are offered to take away for the moment the penalty for our breaking these even Ten Commandments, the the simple ones. Now, I know if you get into the Law of Moses and all the stuff that follows, it gets more complicated, but look, let's just talk about the laws of Ten Commandments even. We can't even go there without stumbling and falling. But as we've already seen, and he repeats it here, 
The problem with the tabernacle system and the sacrificial system is that it cannot really take care of our biggest problem. It can take care of the penalty for the sin for the moment, but it can't take away our guilt. It can't change our conscience. It can't help make us really holy. That's why he goes on and says in verses 2 and through 4, this, if it could, if it could what? If it could help us. If it could, would they not have stopped being offered? In other words, if the sacrifice could have made things right, why did they keep offering them year after year, day after day, time after time? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. You see, he's repeating the problem. Couldn't take away our guilt, couldn't couldn't cleanse us, couldn't make us right. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. The sacrificial system was merely a shadow. The law was a shadow of the reality that is Jesus Christ. So God, at the perfect time, unveils his plan that uncovers the weakness of the old and once and for all fixes the problem. Are you all still with me so far? We have the law, we break the law, we have sacrifices to take away the penalty of the law, but it can't fix the problem. God wants to fix the problem. So here's what he does. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll, I have come to do your will, O God. First, he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, although the law required them to be made. Then he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second, and by that will we have been made holy, through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. In the, in the waning decades before the birth of Christ, there was a Roman poet and dramatist named Quintus Horatio Flaccus. I know it's one of those Roman names that if you really think about it, it gets a little humorous. But he wrote to give the young playwrights of his day some, some advice. See, plays in his day were very convoluted. They got very complicated, the plot lines, the challenges of them. And so the general practice was when it got so convoluted and so complicated that nothing could be solved, they would throw a Roman god on stage like Apollos or uh, Mars or Zeus who would sort everything out and then the play would just end. Horatius found this too predictable and anticlimactic. So he wrote the following advice to the young playwrights of his day, and it's this. Do not put a God on stage unless the problem is one that deserves a God to solve it. Don't put a God on stage unless the only way the problem can be solved is by a God. At the right time, our God stepped on stage. There was a problem that only he could solve. 
only he could fix the problem of sin. He is saying the old way is not working. Who gave us the old way? Hello? He did. He gave us the old way, but even in giving it to us, he knew it wasn't going to fix our problem. It was only going to point toward the solution, which is when Jesus says, here I am to do your will. God steps on the stage in the person of Jesus Christ in order that not only the penalty, but the problem, which is sin in our lives, could be taken care of. By the will of God, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of Jesus. Look at verse 14 again, that last verse. And by that will, we have been, hello, you've been made holy. You are being made holy. You will be made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all, for all time. Moving on in verse 11 through 14, and then I'm going to kind of bring it to a close. It says this, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, this priest is Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. That's actually verse 14. Here's something peculiar about the tabernacle. It's this. There were no chairs in the tabernacle. There was no place to sit down. Why is that? Well, because the priests were so busy offering sacrifices that they weren't supposed to sit. Their duty, their obligation was to be done over and over and over and over and over again. It's symbolic that their work was never done. Because, to kind of repeat myself and the author of Hebrews, no matter how many offerings they brought in, they could never have the guilt, fear, shame, depression overwhelming sense of emptiness removed from them. The work of the priests under the old system was endless and it was tragically incomplete. But when Jesus, this priest, comes and offers himself as a sacrifice once and for all time, it's taken care of. And then what does he do? He sits down. Yeah, my, work, my work is done. Once for all time, he, he accomplished. He was able to sit where the priests weren't because his work was completed. Now, let, let me ask you, just for the sake of illustration, if your sins are taken care of for all time, what does that include? Your past sins, that's a part of all time. Your present sins, that's a part of all time. Your future sins, it's a part of all time. When Jesus came, he made perfect forever, for all time, those who are being made holy. 
Now, here's what the author of Hebrews is trying to say to us. If you are one who has received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you have been made perfect. You may be looking at yourself in the mirror or seeing yourself recently and say, I do feel all that perfect. I know I'm not perfect. I failed this. I yelled at my kids this morning. I didn't speak nicely to my husband or my wife or I've had a thought or two that probably shouldn't be there. I know I'm not. Because of what Jesus Christ has done for you, in God's sight, you have been made perfect. You are being made what? You're being made holy. In in other words, the work of sanctification is the term here. The, the process of change in your life is still at work on a consistent basis, but you've been made perfect. Verses 15 and 16. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my law in their hearts and I will write them on their mind. Okay, the law comes back into play here. Before, the law was an external thing that was put on us in order that we could hopefully have some sort of right standing before God. The problem is we could never fulfill the law, and it becomes a weight. It becomes unbearable. It doesn't help us. All it does is point out to us where we failed. But when we come to know Jesus Christ and are forgiven and been made perfect for all times, where is God's law now? Rather than external, it's internal. It's been written on our hearts so that now our desire to do God's will springs up from within us by the person of the Holy Spirit rather than being put on us by some religious system that says, in order to get God's approval, you got to do this. Well, what grace teaches us is that we can never do enough to earn God's favor. But because of what Christ has done for us, We are now right in his sight, and he's placed his law in our hearts, and we can be made holy. You know the problem with this message, besides it being true? The problem with it is it's really hard to control people if you really get a hold of this. Why? Because the law stays the same, but the voice of God as he speaks to me about what I should do, it's not contrary to God's word, but it's, it may look different for me than it looks for Mark Colvin. In other words, God may say to Mark, Mark, here's what I want you to do, or here's what I don't want you to do. So for Mark to be sensitive to the voice of the Spirit, his actions, I'm not talking about unbiblical things. I'm just talking about what we call, um, what's the term I use all the time? Debatable issues. Debatable issues. Things that the Bible's not clear about. So for some of the debatable things that the Bible doesn't speak clearly about, Mark may say, you know what, I don't want to participate in those. And I may say, well, I feel free to participate in those. So do we have a church that goes with Mark or we have a church that goes with 
me? I'm the obvious answer, right? No, no the, problem, the problem is we use those things, those debatable things to try and control people rather than saying, you know what? We are free in Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God is speaking his plan and his purpose to us how we're to follow after him. We need to be sensitive to his voice on a daily. His laws written in his, our hearts. The Spirit of God is present within me. Then he adds, then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. You may be seeing Pastor Bart, you're reading that very dramatically. I'm trying to because this is an incredible point. This is a point where We need to grab hold of the truth of God. Where we've been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sins. Jesus came once and for all and offered himself as a sacrifice for sins. Wasn't available under the old system, but is now available to us. Here's how the New American Standard puts it. It's just a slightly different word in which I think may help us. It says this, now where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. When Jesus Christ came and he made the sacrifice once and for all, he made it once for all. You no longer, listen to this, you no longer have to bring an offering to take care of your sin. But we feel like we constantly have to do something to make up for the bad thing we did. Do we not? Something in us says, I got to do, I, I screwed up. I need to make an offering. So we bring our pitiful offering before the Lord, I say, here, this is to make up for what I already did. And Jesus says, you don't need it. Already paid for. Already taken care of. Now, some of you may be here today and say, wait, wait, you mean this is a church that doesn't take up offerings? Where do I join up? No, I already told you we're... The type of offering I'm talking about is not an offering as a response in worship and thanksgiving before the Lord. The type of offering I'm talking about is that offering that we bring as penance before the Lord to say, I want to offer this on behalf of my sin to make up for my sin. We have nothing to offer God because Jesus Christ came and did it once for all. The offering, the sacrifice for sin is paid for. What do we offer? Well, according to Romans, what we have to offer is just us. As a response to grace, as a response to what God has done, therefore, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So, Christ came, 
He sacrificed himself to take care of the sin that we could never take care of, that the sacrificial system, the priest, the law, all that took care, happened, couldn't take care of. Now he came and offered himself as a sacrifice. We receive him and we just give ourselves back to him. It's reasonable. It's an act of worship. It's not in order to get his favor. It's just to say, here am I. Send me, Lord. Now, this is a really hard truth for us to receive. This is a really hard truth for us who are rule followers to kind of get a hold of. Any rule followers here? The problem with rule followers is that we are really earners at heart. Much of our identity is tied in with following the rules. And if we're not careful, we'll become like the workers in the parable who worked all day and then the last people came in at the end and they got paid the same as the ones who worked all day. Us rule followers, we're the all-day workers who say, I, I, I should get more because I worked hard all day. I've been a Christian since I was seven. I've been in church my whole life. I went to a Baptist college. I went to a Baptist seminary. I've been in ministry my whole life. I should get more than the guy who jumps in at the last moment. I'm a rule follower. Here's the incredible message of grace. It doesn't matter. Because it wasn't your following rules that got you in in the first place. It was the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So for those of you here today who are scoundrels, this is really good news. (laughs) For those of you who are rule followers and in bondage to the tabernacle system of making sacrifices for your sins, this is unbelievable news. The message of grace is dangerous. It is dangerous and it sounds so good And so easy that we feel like we have to add something to it. It must be the cross plus something. It must be the cross plus I can't drink. It must be the cross plus I can't go here. I can't go there. I can't do this. It must be the cross plus something in order for me to be made right with God. It is the cross plus nothing. Anytime you add anything to the cross, you're on dangerous ground. And it's a ground that the enemy loves to trip us up in. See, the the problem with this message is it means that I cannot police you. Because the Spirit of God, I mean, I'm not talking about, some of you have already gone way down a road saying, well, does that mean I can have sex with whoever? No, no, don't. That's not what I'm saying. That's contrary to God's word. I'm talking talking about hear the message of grace as preached by the author of Hebrews that says don't go back to a religious system. Don't go back to a place where you think it's what you do that gets God's favor for you. Rather, if you... Latch on to this. 
that Jesus Christ once and for all took care of your sins and that you are perfect in God's sight, but at the same time you're being made holy. His law is now written on your hearts. Live as a response to the voice of God that's welling up inside of you and saying, this is life. Follow me. Offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. I think if God has been telling us something for three chapters over and over and over again, he must want us to get it. I believe this message is critical. It's critical for those who are way out in sin and say, God, God could never love me. How could God ever love me? Look at all the bad things I've done. This is a message of incredible good news for you. That Christ's once and for all sacrifice takes care of all of that. And for those of you who are on the other end of the spectrum, the rule followers, understand it's not what you do to get God's favor, it's what God has done in you. Now live a life of freedom and response and love to God. Hear the words of the great hymn again that you sang this morning as we prepare to come to the table of the Lord. Because when we come to God's table, what we're saying This is the body of Christ which was broken for you. This is the blood of Christ which was shed for the forgiveness of your sins. This is the once for all sacrifice of Christ. This is about the reality that everything else was a shadow pointing toward. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me you thine all in all. For nothing good have I. For nothing good have I. Whereby thy grace declaim. I'll wash my garments white in the blood of Calvary's lamb. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he, he washed it white as snow. Lord, we thank you this morning for the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray this morning, again, Spirit of God, that you would come and that your truth would be present in this place to go beyond my inability to communicate adequately. And I pray that, just like Mr. Bork over and over and over again spoke into my life, that, Spirit of God, you would speak into us this morning that it is by the grace of God we have been saved and that that, not of ourselves. It is a gift of God. Not by works. Because if it was, then we'd boast in that too. Lord, this morning, as we come to the table of the Lord where we receive the bread and the cup as a symbol of your death for us, your sacrifice. May the reality that we were sinners, but we are now perfect by your blood sink into our hearts. We are perfect, and at the same time, we are being made.
perfect. We're being made holy. We're being set apart. We're being sanctified. God, do your work in our lives. Set us free, Lord. May we walk in faith today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Here's what we're going to do today. Generally, we take this as a corporate body. But what I'd like for you to do today is um, to think about the grace of God and what he has done in your life. So I'm going to ask you to come and get the bread and the cup and just take it back to your place and pray and ask the Lord's truth to be uncovered in your life about the power of his grace, the freedom that is yours in him, who you are in him. Just respond to that and then take the bread and the cup as he directs you to. Then there are going to be ministry teams here. And you may be here today and you say, you know, I, I need prayer for freedom. I, I would like somebody just to pray with me. I, I admit I live under a legalistic bondage and I, I would like for somebody to set, help pray with me to be set free. We're going to have ministry teams across the front and across the back. And so we're just going to have kind of an open time here for receiving the Lord's table and for praying for one another. Noel's going to lead us in this time. Ushers, if you would come forward. Everyone else, stand up. If you're a guest here, you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you confess your faith in Him, you're welcome to join in the table of the Lord. So hopefully the instructions were clear. Come, go back to your place, pray, take, receive prayer. Come to the table of the Lord.